uh, last time we got down to about the end of chapter 7 in the book of Romans, uh, thinking about the, the battle, the warfare that we have in this life as saved and born-again people. And you know, I'd, I'd like to be clear, maybe though this is, this is known among all, but there is a warfare and a struggle with the flesh and with sin. But the Bible's also clear that there are sins that saved people don't commit. There's lifestyles that saved people don't live. He says in 1 Corinthians, and I, I, I want you to know, I, I, do not, I do not believe, I will not accept that people can be saved and live any manner of lifestyle out there and say, well, I struggle with sin every day. That, that won't cut it. There is a struggle with sin, but he says this, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't be led to believe something that is not true. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So those lifestyles, though an excuse might be given of a struggle with sin, there are some things God will not let His children do. And they're not, they're not out struggling with moral, gross immorality and iniquity. As Anthony's already said, we're His workmanship, created for one purpose, to serve and honor Him in this life. So uh, I just wanted to say that. And maybe this chapter we've broke down and looked at in little parts. We'd like to back up before we get to chapter 8, and let's get the whole context of what he's saying in this chapter. Uh, I really wanted to, to zoom in on the struggle and the warfare, and, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, but if we're not careful, we miss the big picture of the whole chapter. So if you remember, he started out with a picture of a man and a woman that's married, how that the woman is bound to that man by the law as long as he's alive. But as soon as he dies, when he's dead that obligation to that marriage is gone. And the same is true for us in Jesus Christ. We were obligated and held under the law, unto death, unto death in eternal hell. And the Lord Jesus died. And God reckons us to be dead in the Lord Jesus Christ to the law that we might live now in Jesus Christ. So our obligation to the law was paid in Christ Jesus. It was met. The law was fulfilled. Both the righteousness of the law and the penalty that we owed the law, both were met in the Lord Jesus, and we are free from the law. We don't need the law to be righteous. We are righteous in Christ Jesus by imputation. And then he's going to go down through here, and we're going to talk about the law. The law was good, the law was right, and the law was necessary. Because when I was a sinner, I didn't know what sin was. And that's what he says here in this chapter. Until the law came. The law made me aware that I was a sinner and that I was a transgressor towards God. So certainly, before salvation, we had no hope of righteousness by the law. The law highlighted our sin. But, you know, we've had, we've had a mess here in the past. People think, well, now that we're in Jesus, we've got to keep the law to be saved. Well, he's going to put the final nail in the coffin of that doctrine that there can be, really, because he's going to now, in the last part of this, what we looked at last week, he's going to talk about the struggle of a saved man, and here's somebody that's regenerated, Here's somebody that God's done a work in. Here's somebody that is an apostle of God. 
Here's a man that may be the wisest man in the Scripture that ever has been, and he's testifying that in his flesh there's no good thing. And when he would do good, he finds himself not doing it. And when he would like to keep himself from doing wrong, he finds himself doing it. So tell me what hope there is in the law for a man that's like that. I know, I know people want to back up when you talk like that. But you agreed with me last week that this was you and that this was me and that this was all of us. Well, tell me if we fail that much, if we are the failures that we see ourselves being in the seventh chapter of Romans, how in the world are you going to hold yourself to a standard of the law when you're always doing the wrong thing? And when you would do good, evil is present with you. There's no righteousness whatsoever earned from the law. Whether it's somebody that's unregenerate or somebody that's saved and born again, the law is a standard that no man can ever live up to. And the reason is your flesh is corrupt. It's of corrupted seed. The fallen seed of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is what the flesh is made from. It's corrupt and sinful and in it there is no good thing. The flesh would do good to benefit itself. And that's the only reason. That's it. There's no hope in the law. So Paul comes to this conclusion, O wretched man that I am. Isaiah came to that same conclusion, didn't he? Woe is me. Daniel, who had prayed 21 days for the Lord to answer his prayer, when the Lord came on the scene, he answered the same way. And he fell as a dead man. You'll find that all through the book. Moses hid his face from the burning bush. The seraphims in Isaiah 6, they had six wings and two of them, they covered their face. A holy, holy, holy God. And Paul says, look at what I am. Look at how weak that I am. Look that even though God's done this work, Look at what a failure I am to what I know I ought to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Notice the wording. Not this body of death. Not that this body's going to die and who's going to deliver me from the grave. That's not what he's saying. But the body of this Death. You know what? This body wants sin. Only sin. Only rebellion. Only evil. Sin, when it's conceived, brings forth death. So Paul says, I continually find myself going after that that kills me. Now how can I be delivered from the body of this death? There's no hope in Paul the apostle. There's no hope in Joseph. And there's no hope in anyone here. We're in a body that desires and craves that that kills it. The body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says the only hope I've got is that I'm righteous, holy, and complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He's the remedy. He's the solution. No, ma'am and no, sir, you can't do it. You can't keep it. You've not kept it. And if you were keeping it to be saved, you've lost it this week. You've not done everything you ought to have done. You've not withheld yourself from that that you shouldn't have done. You've come short today. And if we were looking to the law for righteousness... See, man wants to cut parts in and cut parts. You can't do that. If you're going to keep the law for salvation, you're going to have to keep it all. And there's nobody that's got any biblical doctrine can say, I've kept it all this week. 
Nobody can say that. So there's two options. Either that's not my means for righteousness or I've lost it. That's it. Paul says, I've got no hope. I am a wretched man. Who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord was the remedy and the solution to the problem of man. Now we're going to talk about the life after salvation more. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God. With the flesh, the law of sin. There's your two natures that are contrary one to another. An inward man that desires to do the will of God. An outward man that desires to sin. There's where man is left. There's where we are. That's where we struggle with day after day. You struggle with it today. But you know something good? You don't have to go home and lay down on your bed and worry whether you're saved or not tonight. You know why? Chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Condemnation, that word means an adverse sentence or verdict. So to the holy crowd and the working crowd, what do you do with this verse? If I can be saved and then somehow lose it through the law, then how do you explain that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus? Either I'm coming in and out of Christ as I live and navigate this life, or this isn't true. See, you can't have it both ways. You can't. Salvation's either eternal, sure, and secure in Jesus alone, or it hinges on you and you've already lost it. Period. Period. A lot of things could be knocked in the head with a little thinking about what the Bible says. But we don't have to go home and worry whether we're saved or not. You know why? Because there is no condemnation There is no adverse sentence and there is no adverse verdict because their salvation has nothing to do with what they've done in the law today. Their salvation is wrapped up in what the Lord Jesus did 2,000 years ago, already completed, already accomplished, already accepted, and already sitting at the right hand of God. There's no reason to doubt whether that's secure or not. He's already lived perfect. He's already been sacrificed. He's already resurrected and been accepted by God. And He is at the right hand of God today making intercession. There is where salvation is anchored. It's as secure as the Lord Jesus Christ is secure. It's as certain as God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are ruling on the throne today. It's as certain as the Lord Jesus Christ had resurrected from the dead. It's steadfast, unmovable, and certain, and there is no adverse sentence to them that are in Jesus. And we'll get into the details of that later on in this chapter. In John chapter 3, let's look at a few places. John chapter 3, verse number 18. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus Himself says, to Nicodemus, them that believe, they're not condemned. Them that believe not, they're condemned already. So what is the line of condemnation? Has the law got anything to do with whether a man's condemned or not? The law's the condemner. But the line 
of whether a man's condemned or not is not the law and what I've done with it. I've not done the law. There's no debate to be had there. We've all broken the law. Already done. No, the line determining whether I'm saved or not, whether I'm going to go to heaven or not, whether I'm in the family of God or not, is whether I'm in Jesus Christ. That is the line, and that's what a man's going to be held to. They that believe, they're not condemned. They that believe not, they are already condemned. Now where's the law? I tell you to them in Jesus Christ, the law's fulfilled, completed. Jesus has met their obligation to the law and they are righteous. To them that are outside of Jesus, they've not met the law. They're going to die under the law. But the line of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to keep things in its proper place. The Lord Jesus is the measuring stick in John chapter 5. Now the Lord Jesus is so bold. And He's talking to a people here that make their boast and trust in what they do and in how that they give to the church. That even when they grow a little basil or a little parsley in their herb garden and they just get a little dish out of it, they're going to get out a little pair of scales and they're going to weigh out exactly 10% of that to give to the temple. Boy, they boast in how good that they are by the law. This is what the Lord Jesus says. Now think about it. He's talking to these people that are super righteous in their own mind and that are accepted to God by their good works. This is what He says. This is verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Okay, so how secure is salvation? Jesus said, if you believe, I give you everlasting life. What does that word mean? It means perpetual. You can look that up in Webster's. Perpetual is never ending or ceasing. So there's one hint that it's from that time of belief, that time of salvation onward, that life that Jesus gives is perpetual and never ending. He goes farther. And shall not, that's future, he shall not come into condemnation He's not going to be condemned in the future. Well, preacher, they done wrong and they lost it. People don't lose it, folks. They're either saved or they're not. People do not lose it. People never had it. They shall not come into condemnation, but is. Now that's present tense. At this present time, those that believe, they've passed from death unto life. A work that's sure steadfast and anchored in the work of the Lord Jesus. One more place in Galatians. Galatians chapter number 3, verse number 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the curse of the law, the curse of the law was that I had sinned it against it, and I was held unto death. Jesus was hung on a tree, which by the law meant He was cursed. He became a curse and died to take our place, our substitute in judgment. He bore the wrath and the anger of God towards sin that you and I could be free from that. Now tell me, if the Lord Jesus bore the sin of mankind, 
If the Lord Jesus bore the wrath of God and made payment for all sins, and it's paid for, what's left to be done? Now if the Lord Jesus paid for only the sins before my salvation, and after my salvation I'm now responsible for all of my sins. Now that sounds good to a man that's blind in his mind and don't see what he really is. But that would not work for the Apostle Paul. Paul said, I'm a wretched man. What hope do I have? But if the sins now from your birth to your salvation, if that was enough for you to die and go to hell for an eternity, then what are they from salvation to today? When you knew better, and when the Holy Ghost was in you, and when you had an unction, an inclination from God to do what's right, and you still done that that's wrong, what do you reckon those sins are worth? Are they not worth the same thing? You're either dying and going to hell, or you're dying and going to hell. That's options you've got when you're going to use the law for righteousness. There's no other way. Man can't keep the law. But in the Lord Jesus, He's met the curse, He's took our place, and there is no condemnation to them. Now here it is, which are in Christ Jesus. There's a place that man is if there's no condemnation. This isn't a free ticket that I can carry around and sin and live an ungodly life and say, you can't condemn me, I'm in Jesus. No, to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So in Christ Jesus, and he says again in that third chapter of Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So to be in Christ, that's a a way of saying, and there's so many ways and pictures that God provides us. We can be in Christ Jesus. We can be adopted into the family to take that which is not yours and by choice make it yours. You can be born again by the Spirit of God. You can be saved and rescued from sin. You can be resurrected from the death and into life. All of those are true. You'll find them every one in the book. And they all reference the same work. The redemption of the soul of mankind. You know who's got no condemnation? People that are saved and in Jesus Christ. People that are not saved, they are, as we read in John chapter 3, they're condemned already. They're not waiting on judgment to be condemned. We're not waiting on God to cast us into hell to be condemned. But if you are not in Christ Jesus right now, you are condemned as you live today. And you're like, as he says in Hebrews, the children of Israel was, as they wandered in the wilderness, they were carcasses that were living, breathing, and walking. They were living for one purpose, to die, face God in the judgment. And so, to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what is this Spirit? What is walking after the Spirit? Now, let's get it right. Because the the righteousness crowd is going to take that and say, see, you've got to walk after the Spirit. Agreed. Agreed. You're going to have to be led by the Spirit. So who's walking after the Spirit all the time? Paul was not. When Paul would do good, evil was present with him. Right? We've all sinned. We all continue to come short of what God would have us to do. So is it a perfect life by the law? 
And I, I tell you this too. We heard this right here. No, but you've got to be striving. Who defines that? What is striving? Working hard. Working hard. So what working hard to you? Does that mean the same thing, Devon? No, but I'm striving in my own mind. I'm working hard. Yeah, and you're still short. You're still short of what God said. In your own mind, you might be. The Pharisees were striving in their own mind, but they did not meet the righteousness that God required in the law. They needed salvation, as does man. Man needs salvation. In Titus, this is what he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live righteously and godly, soberly in this present world. So here is the grace of God. That that come from another world, that that come from the third heaven, that that proceeded from the throne of God. And the grace of God that brings salvation, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, has appeared to all men. And you know what the Spirit teaches? The grace of God teaches me how that I ought to be. There's the Holy Ghost indwelling in them that are saved. That unction, that anointing from the Holy One of God that would lead them to live in a manner that's pleasing unto God. They are not free to do as they please. They are not free to do as suits their flesh. They have the Holy Ghost in there that restrains, that constrains them, that keeps them from the sin and gross immorality that's in the world. Now I realize I'm not saying two different things. I'm not. I have a question. The grace of God is pure down to all men. I've, I've always... I'm going to tell you what I, I think and, and I want to hear you. Okay. Is that man that lives in New York City that's never attended church, his family never attended church, had nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with God, does that mean that, that God is, is going to deal with that man or God is going to bring by, he's going to come to his heart and deal with him? Now, I, I, I know what you're saying. And you've got to be careful there. Is He going to deal with them like He does everybody else? And you know, this is what you hear. Everybody's got the same shot at this. Everybody's got the same chance of being saved. And they would take this verse and they would argue that. That see, everybody's got the same chance. But that's not true by other places in the Bible. Because the Lord Jesus says that Tyre and Sidon did not have the opportunity that Cherazin had. He says that Sodom and Gomorrah did not have the opportunity that Bethsaida had. Now, you might puff up and get angry and say that's not fair. Will you take that up with the Lord Jesus Christ and God? You're going to tell Him how He needs to operate and do. All I know is to tell you what He said. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said if, they, if Sodom and if Tyre had this opportunity, they would have repented. The Lord Jesus said those words. So what happened there? It was by... Boy, I'm telling you, you talk about not liked. God chose who He was going to show mercy to, and He chose who He was not. That's exactly right. I've heard you say that. It's His. That's right. Can I say something? Sure. I thought about this a lot, what He said. The grace of God has appeared to all men. But the Bible says God looks at the heart. Is that what it says? Sure. All right, you've got people that... <coughs> I'm just going to say something to my family. 
I'm not going to pick on nobody else. And I'm not picking on them, but, you know, I've heard you say this. You're not going to talk to me that way. I'm talking about the preacher. Right. You know, you come to church, and God takes the preaching of the gospel, the law of God, and he shows us that we're in the wrong. Yes. If it hadn't been for God and his word, we wouldn't have never knew not to steal. Right. Not to kill. Not to lie. All right, you take people like that that's got a hard heart toward the church. They're in, they're in the wrong. They are. Agreed. But people that's willing to come to church and to sit under the gospel and let God speak to them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, would you say God's smiling on them people? I mean, he's looking toward their willingness to come to church. Their willingness to come to the, to hear the preaching, right? You see what I'm getting at, Joseph? Right. But you got this crowd that, oh no, I'm not going down there and listening to no stupid preacher screaming holler at me. Right. But that's not you. That's God working through you. Right. But they can't see that. They're blind. I understand. <clears throat> but is that the reason that God chooses? over top of other people. I mean, I'm just asking and trying to explain. I've heard Vaughn talk about this. Uh, you know, he talked about that uh, well drilling rod that hit that power line that could have killed him dead. And even looking back on my life, I see things that's happened to me if it hadn't been for God taking care of me. I'd have died in my sins and lifted my eyes in hell. Right. But he showed mercy. He took care of us. I mean, I'm just trying to say something. We're, we're ahead of ourselves. We're, we're going to get ahead of ourselves just a little. He's going to cover all this very in-depth in the next three chapters, starting in this one and in the chapters to come. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll read you this. And you chew on this and tell me. You, 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 you chew on it. Think on it. This is Romans 9. Verse 16. I'm going to read you three verses. It'd be good for us to to think on these three verses and what is he saying here. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that sheweth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might shew my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now that's what God says to Moses. That's what he says to Pharaoh. Was it fair to Pharaoh? Pharaoh had He did. And the grace of God that bring us salvation has appeared to all men. This wasn't done in a corner. And I'm going to say that the name of the Lord Jesus has went far and wide. And there's people that say, I'm not going to the church house. You might have said those very things. You might have said, I'm never going. But you know why you're here? God brought you here. God put you here. And if you believe the gospel, God saved you here. God did that. That's why you're not still out there saying those same things. God saw fit to show you mercy. Now why did God do that? I cannot answer that question other than this. He had compassion on you. We've got a great example in the gospel. I believe it's in John. The pool of Bethsaida. And there were seven porches. And they were full of impotent, sick, halt, and maimed people. I don't know how many people were there. There was a great number of people there. And here comes the Lord Jesus. And there's a man that's been there for 38 years. If my numbers are wrong, it's in the book. You can find it. It's in John. How many people did the Lord have to walk past and around and maybe even step over to get to that one man. 
But he did. And he went to that one man and he said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And I don't see that anybody else at that pool. He said that too. So God will have mercy on whom He will have mercy. And whom He will, He hardeneth. It's not of Him that willeth. God's not looking down and saying, this man's trying harder. I'm going to give him more opportunity. And it's not of him that runneth. It's not that I'm striving for salvation and God's going to grant it. That's what He says. That's that's in Romans chapter 9. Not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that sheweth mercy. God's what makes the difference. God's what makes the difference. So this grace of God hath appeared to all men. We've got written in Psalms that the general creation, the sun and the stars and the atmosphere and the life and the ocean and the land and the mountains, all that God has made naturally, carnally speaking, that's enough to hold a man guilty before God. And a man that looks on the creation of the, of the power of God, produced by the power of God, that man's guilty. The heavens declare the handiwork. But you know, there's been a, a better revelation of the grace of God than just the creation. There has been the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, every religion... And in every part of the world, they've had to do something with that name of the Lord Jesus. It's there. Who's going to be saved? I don't know. But I I know this. Those that get saved, they're going to be saved because God shows them mercy. That's all I know. By the mercy and compassion of Almighty God. So, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So that Spirit, that power of God that indwells the man. So let's look next. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and of death. Now he says in Corinthians, for the Spirit bringeth life, but the letter... What's the letter do? The letter killeth. Now he's talking about the law. And he's talking about righteousness and holiness between me and God. Me finding acceptance with God by the law, the law of sin and death, the law that I find in my flesh and in my members that continually leads me towards rebellion and iniquity and honest to God, it continually makes me guiltier before God. The, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that's imputed righteousness. That God has imputed righteousness upon us from Jesus Christ. That's made me free from the guilt that comes from the law. Because I've had Christ's righteousness imputed and because my sin and iniquity has been imputed to Christ, There is no condemnation. And I'm free from the law that would condemn me. Because like he says at the start of chapter 7, we're considered dead in Christ and we're no longer obligated to the law for righteousness any longer. Remember, that obligation to the law has been fulfilled through the substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. So what could be attributed to me that would bring me guilt? What could be attributed to me that would cause me to die and be guilty in the judgment of God? To die in unbelief. To die outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. For what the law could not do There was something that the law couldn't do. The law could not 
make me righteous. Not because the law was weak, in that it was weak through the flesh. See, the problem was this man right here. (coughs) There's the law that's good, holy, pure, righteous, and I can't do it. I cannot do it. If there was a wall that we had to scale with no ropes or nothing, and it was just too high and too slick, and we couldn't do it. That's what the law was. It was an obstacle that was impossible for us to get over. The law was weak on my part. I was too weak to measure up to the standard of the law. Maybe it's a rock. You ever had a big rock in the way and you wanted to move it? And you thought, well, I'll get that. And you get your legs down there and and you don't move it an inch. (coughs) You see the picture? It's an impossibility. It can't be done. It's that that's impossible for us. That's the way the law was. It's that I'm too weak to get the job done. But you know, I can get a ladder and I can get over that wall. I can get a track hoe and I'll get that rock out of the way. I just need something with more ability than what I've got. That's what man needed. We couldn't do it. The rock couldn't be moved. We were guilty under the law. God, now here's the the answer. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So the Lord Jesus came in the likeness of... He had a flesh just like you and I've got. But there was a difference. His flesh never sinned. And for sin... Now, this was as a remedy to sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, he added to my condemnation. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was guilty. I was filthy. I was waiting on the death penalty. I couldn't get any guilt here. His perfect life did not bring greater condemnation on me. But I tell you what it did... He brought an adverse sentence, that's what condemnation means, against sin. Because now, there was one in a body, in the seed of Adam and of Eve, there was one that had overcome sin. That which had overrun every man and every woman that has ever lived on the face of the earth. All born and wind up failures. All born. And when they come of age, they take them out to the rock and say, let's see if you can move this. Maybe you're the one. Samson, maybe you're the one to move this rock that we could be accepted. David, maybe you're going to be the anointed one. Moses, maybe you're the one. Maybe it's Joshua. Maybe Abraham. Maybe Noah is the one. I could go on. You know what all those men have? Glaring, recorded sin. They're not the one. They couldn't move the rock. They were as guilty as anybody else that had ever lived. But you know when the angels came, Zachariah's in the temple and he's doing his job as a priest like he always was. And the angel came and appears to him in the temple and says, Zachariah, you're going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. And he's going to be the forerunner of the Lamb of God. Zachariah, this is going to be the one that's coming. He's going to move the rock that man can be righteous. He's going to do the work. That's never been done before. Zechariah had a hard time believing that he was going to have a son and God shut his mouth and he never said another word till he wrote down his name as John. Now you talk about an announcement that that was. That the one's finally coming. 
Here's been a place that man's come to, every man, and they've all failed. The Lord Jesus is the one that come and condemned sin. He took sin, conquered, and defeated it. So let's look maybe in a couple places. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 11. But Christ being come, and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So the Lord come, a high priest, over a more perfect tabernacle. Now he's referencing the tabernacle in the wilderness that Moses made. The tent where was the holy place and the holiest place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Jesus come with a more perfect tabernacle. You know what that was? It wasn't a tent that He carried around and pitched in the desert. It was His body. He had a body like mine and yours, but that had no sin in it. Had conquered fully sin and the guilt of sin. Neither by blood of goats and calves, that that has no reasoning, no knowledge, no understanding, and that if it realizes what's going on, is resistant to the sacrifice. You grab a calf, a young ox, a lamb, and you jerk it back to kill it and see if it don't fight you. They're not willing. The Lord Jesus didn't come to offer that with no reasoning and that was unwilling to be sacrificed. But by by His own blood, He entered in once to the holy place. I'll tell you what He was. He was a perfect, sinless sacrifice. He was in a body like mine and like yours. He was able to understand what was going to happen to Him, and He understood it. And He knew the suffering He was going to endure, and He willingly submitted Himself to that as payment for our sins. He became, as He says here in Hebrews, the mediator of a new testament, a new covenant, a new way for man to be right and righteous in God's eyes. In Hebrews 10, verse number 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standing daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The Lord Jesus' life and sacrifice conquered and condemned sin in the flesh. His offering ended the guiltiness that man had to the law of God and his righteousness was sufficient to make a man perfect. So he says, uh, weak through the flesh in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. The law did not bring perfection to any man. Man could not obtain perfection through the law. The flesh was too weak and unprofitable. Just like the rock that can't be moved. We don't have what it takes to do it. But the bringing in of a better hope did 
by the which we draw nigh unto God. God made a new covenant and agreement through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that man could be saved. In Hebrews chapter 4, and I realize we're flipping all through Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he had the same carnal desires. He had the same temptations. We know the devil took him out in the wilderness for 40 days and tempted him and tried him. Yet he come out unlike us. He come out with zero sin. With no sin. So he says the likeness of sinful flesh. He's not saying that he wasn't a man. All through the book of Luke, Jesus will call himself the Son of Man. He was a man with a body. But I tell you what, his body was different from every other man's in one regard. He was sinless and perfect and pure. That's the difference. You know what I see in that, Joseph? What's that? Man had absolutely nothing to do with him coming to this earth. That's right. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians, just one more place and I'll stop. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So who, who made Him? God made Him. And God made Him to be sin. God took the perfect, sinless Son of God and God transferred the sin of mankind upon His back that He might pay that, be the sacrifice. He's the sacrifice. He's the priest. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the Judge. He's the God. He's God the Father. They, they are all one. But in Isaiah, when he's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto Himself. And He did that by imputation, by the transfer in 1 Peter chapter number 2. Verse number 22. 1 Peter 2, 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So the transferal. One more place. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. There was the transferal, the transferal of sin to a sinless lamb, the transferal of righteousness to a sinful man. That man could be justified and saved and everything be above board. All the debts have been paid, legally paid, and man can be right in God's eyes.